so excited about what God did in so many students' lives in this last week. I'm glad that there was only minimal injuries. Uh, so I'm really grateful for uh, this last week at camp. So if you have your Bibles, James chapter 3. James chapter 3, we are continuing in our summer sermon series, walking through this letter of James. While you're turning there, let me let you guys know about a couple of things that are going on at Coastal. First of all, thank you guys so much to those of you who came out to our spiritual formation classes that we just wrapped up here in Coastal Gloucester this last Wednesday night. We had an awesome time, but did want to remind you that there are spiritual formation classes ongoing across Coastal. So if you're interested in attending a spiritual formation class at another campus, we have booklets available at the welcome desk with the list of classes uh, with the time and location so that you can attend that. I wanted to take a minute to plug our kids ministry. Yeah, guys, we have an awesome Coastal Kids ministry here at Coastal Gloucester. I am so blessed by them. My own kids are so blessed by them, and they are always looking for more volunteers. So if you have a heart for children, and if you have a heart for excuse me, for parents to be able to come to church and hear the gospel even. We have a lot of opportunities to serve in our children's ministry. You can serve as a helper. You can serve as a teacher. You can serve as a check-in volunteer. There are all kinds of opportunities. So if you are interested in serving in Coastal Kids, we would love to have more help. You can sign up on your Connect card or you can talk to Amy Sexton. I have one more announcement that I am really excited for this morning, you guys. Uh, and in order to justify this announcement, I want you to look to your left uh, and then look to your right. All right, now you understand where I'm coming from. Guys, we have grown exponentially in the last several months here at Coastal Gloucester. It is absolutely amazing, and it is humbling to see what God is doing here at this campus, to see new faces every week, to see guests coming in, to see new people getting plugged in. I could not be more thrilled about what God is doing here at Coastal Gloucester. That's why I'm so excited to announce to you that we are adding a third service. That's good news, guys. That's worth celebrating. We felt that the best way for us to effectively reach our community was to make more room so that more people can come and hear the gospel. So starting in August, our service times here at Coastal Gloucester will be 8 o'clock for you early birds, 9.30 and 11 o'clock. Now, I know some of you guys, your mind is spinning with questions and, you know, the logistics. How is this going to work out? What are we going to do for this? What are we going to do for this? We're going to talk about that, okay? That's why we're waiting till August to give us a month to get all of our ducks in a row. But I just wanted to put this on your radar because this is something to praise the Lord for, you guys. This is an opportunity for us to get to bring in more people so that they can hear the gospel and they can become authentic followers of Jesus. Amen. I'm excited. I hope you are. And we will be talking about this more in the weeks to come. All righty, James chapter three. This morning's sermon's gonna be relatively short. Uh, please try to contain your disappointment. I know, I know. Uh, but this morning, we're gonna look at James chapter three and we're going to talk about the power of the tongue. Now, obviously, we're not talking about your literal tongue, namely the roughly three-inch muscle in your mouth that is used for tasting and speaking. We're talking about your words. We're talking about the way that we talk. We learned from James 1.26 a few weeks ago that if our religion does not lead to self-control in the way that we speak, then it's worthless. And now James is circling back to that topic, and he is now going to address the way that we speak here in chapter 3. 
The focus of this text is that as followers of Jesus, we need to be self-controlled in the way that we speak because our words matter. Our words are powerful. You guys know this from your experience. I would be willing to bet that some of the best moments in your life are moments where someone said something encouraging to you, someone you care about. They said something affirming. They said something life-giving. I would also be willing to bet that the opposite is true too. Probably some of the most painful, scarring moments in your life came from words where someone that you cared about said something harsh and cruel toward you. The reality is that our words are incredibly powerful, they are seriously dangerous, and that they are often uncontrollable. And it is for this reason, as followers of Jesus, we must learn how to speak in a way that loves God and serves other people. So let me give you the main point of the sermon this morning. Christians should strive to speak in a way that honors Jesus because our words are powerful. With that in mind, let's take a look at the word of the Lord together. James chapter three, we'll read the first five verses to get started. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are driven by so though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The first thing we see in this text this morning is that the tongue is powerful. We see that the tongue is powerful. Let's start in verse one. James begins by saying, not many of you should become teachers because those who teach will face a stricter judgment. Now he's not intending to discourage those who are called and gifted to teach the word to do so, but rather he wants to remind us of the awesome weight of responsibility that is involved in teaching God's word. Here's why it's such a weighty responsibility. Here's why preachers have a hard time sleeping on Saturday night. When we are preaching the word, when we're teaching the word, we're not giving our opinion. We're not giving our thoughts. We're not giving our experience. We are opening up this book and saying, thus says the Lord. We are speaking on behalf of God. That's a weighty responsibility, isn't it? It's an incredibly weighty responsibility. And he's saying you should not become a teacher of the word without first counting the cost. Can I tell you that as a preacher, this is, might be one of the scariest verses in the Bible? He tells us, man, you will face a stricter judgment because there's a biblical principle that to whom much has been given, much will be required. And with much responsibility comes much accountability. So this verse terrifies me, just to be straight with you. It makes me want to repent of the times where I've taken this responsibility lightly, and it challenges me to see the weight of responsibility that comes from teaching the word. But, but just in case you're tempted to think that this verse is just for me this morning, or just for the other teachers of the word here at Coastal, just for the elders, just for the small group leaders, just in case you think you're off the hook, there is a sense in which every Christian is called to be a teacher. Here's what I mean. Romans 15, 14, he's talking to the whole church. He says, you are able to instruct each other. You are competent to counsel one another, some translations say. 
He says, if you're a parent, you have a responsibility to teach God's word to your children in Ephesians chapter six. And every Christian is given the great commission. You know what the great commission is? Make disciples, first step, baptizing them. Second step, teaching them to obey. Every Christian in one way or another, in one capacity or another is a teacher of God's word. And that is a responsibility we ought to take very seriously. We ought to take it very seriously when we speak on behalf of God because we will be judged with a greater strictness when we do so. And part of the inherent danger James is going to show us in teaching the word is that the very thing that we use to teach the word, namely the tongue, our words, is the most powerful, dangerous, and uncontrollable part of us. He goes on to say, we all stumble in many ways. And if someone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. What's going on here? I think what James is saying is because your tongue is so powerful and because your tongue is so dangerous, if hypothetically you were able to be perfect in what you say, you could definitely control the rest of yourself. What he's saying is teaching is dangerous because the tongue is dangerous. And he goes on to show by illustrations the reality that even though our tongue is a small part of us, it has an outsized impact in our lives. He gives two illustrations here. The first is a horse. You know, we just saw some people horseback riding at LVR in the video, right? You put a bit into the mouth of the horse and with that small thing, you can control this giant beast. Just like a ship, he talks about this large ship that's tossed about by strong winds. And it's just that small rudder on the bottom of the ship being steered by a pilot that can steer the entire course of the large ship. The point of both illustrations is the same. Though our tongues are small, though we might think of our words as a small part of our lives, they actually have a massive impact and they can steer the entire course of our lives. Church, we need to realize that our words matter. Our words are powerful. There's an old saying that I'm sure you guys know. Finish it after I start it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? <laughs> guys, that's dumb. <laughs> Let me just say that. That's not true. That's not biblical. This is what the Bible has to say in contrast to that. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who uh, love it will eat its fruits. Guys, death and life are in our words. Our words have the power to give life, to encourage, to edify, to strengthen, to instruct. And our words also have the ability to tear down, to hurt, to mislead. Our words have an incredible power for good, but our words also have incredible potential for danger. That leads us to our second point this morning. The tongue is dangerous. The tongue is powerful, yes, but the tongue is also dangerous. Look at verses five and six with me. James says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. He says, it only takes a small spark to burn down an entire forest. In the same way, it only takes a few careless and sinful words to reap destruction in your life and in your relationships. Any of you guys heard the news story from a couple of years ago? It was September 2020 uh, about a gender reveal party in California. 
And so this couple wanted to use a smoke bomb at their gender reveal party. And this bomb would go off and the smoke would be either blue for a boy or pink for a girl. So they did this in a forest on a day that was very hot. Uh, And so this smoke bomb went off and created a fire that burned for 23 days, torched nearly 23,000 acres, destroyed five homes and 15 buildings, injured 13 people and killed one person. Now, I'm sure this couple had no intention of doing any of that. All they wanted was a cool video for Instagram or whatever. But instead, that one smoke bomb, carelessly placed, had a wave of destruction. Guys, in the same way in our lives, just as it only takes one smoke bomb to burn down a forest, often it just takes one stupid, sinful, careless comment to bring about destruction in your relationships. I mean, think about it. How many churches have been torn apart by gossip, by rumors? How many reputations have been ruined by slander? How many marriages have been destroyed by dishonesty? How many Christian testimonies have been compromised by filthy language? Our words might seem small, but they are dangerous. And it does not take much to leave a wake of destruction. This is why James goes on to say that the tongue is a fire, that it's a world of unrighteousness, that it's set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. Church, we were made in the image of a God who speaks. One of the first things we learn about God is that he's a communicative God. He says, Genesis 1-3, let there be light. We were created to use our words to communicate with God and with others in a way that brings life. But because of our sin, our tongue is now a fire and it is a world of unrighteousness. Words that were originally meant to reflect heaven are now set on fire by hell. And if you think this is a bleak picture, keep listening. It gets worse. Because first, our tongue is powerful. Second, our tongue is dangerous. And third, it's out of control. The tongue is uncontrollable. Verse seven says, for every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the image of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He says all of these different kinds of animals we've tamed. I mean, if you don't believe me, go to the zoo, go to the living museum, go to SeaWorld. It's amazing that we can tame, you know, lions lions and elephants and orcas and all of these big animals, but we can't tame this three-inch muscle in our mouths. We can make killer whales like do flips and jump through hoops for little kids to cheer, but we can't stop talking. Like, it's crazy. We can do all these amazing things, but we can't control our mouths because the tongue is uncontrollable. James says it's a restless evil. The word restless could be translated as unstable. It's something shaky. It's unpredictable. 
It's something that's incredibly difficult for us as sinners to exercise self-control over what we say. Might be the hardest thing of all. This self-control both refers to what we don't say, refraining from speaking something that we should not say, but it also refers to the need to speak when we need to. In this way, we fail to control our tongues when we say something hurtful or when we fail to say something that we need to say that would be helpful. James goes on to say that our tongue is full of deadly poison. Brings to my mind the picture of a venomous snake with his mouth that is full of deadly poison. And here's the reality. When we use our words to hurt other people, in that moment, we reflect more the serpent from hell than our father who is in heaven. Our tongues are uncontrollable. And finally, they're hypocritical. They're hypocritical. With our mouths, we bless God but then we turn around and curse those who are made in his likeness. One commentator I read this week said, man, when we bless God and then curse others, we're like a man who walks into a palace, praises the king to his face, and then on the way out of the palace, we smash the head off of the king's statue. How hypocritical is it to praise God and then curse his image? The Bible teaches us that the way that we treat people who are made in God's image reveals what we really think about God. 1 John 4.20 might be the most blunt verse in the Bible about this. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. From the same mouth, James says, comes blessing and cursing. This can't be the case for believers. Salt and fresh water don't come from the same spring. One kind of tree does not bear a different kind of fruit. In the same way, blessing and cursing should not come from the same mouth. And why can't a grapevine produce figs? Why can't salt water and fresh water come from the same spring? Well, it's what we talked about a few weeks ago. Our words are the overflow of our hearts. Our words reveal what's in our hearts. The fruit of our lips reveals the tree of our hearts, if you will. This is what Jesus had to say about this in Matthew chapter 15. He says, hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Man, we're not defiled by what comes into our mouth, but by what comes out of it. Because the words that we speak reveal the content of our hearts. The reason why there's filth in our words is because there's filth in our hearts. So the reality is before we can tame the tongue, before we can have speech that honors the Lord, there is something that needs to happen to us and in us. This points to the reality that the tongue needs redemption. The tongue needs redemption. Before we can start bearing good fruit in our lives, the roots must be made good. You guys remember last week, the conversation about faith and works? It's only when we put our faith in the gospel and we're transformed, the overflow of that will be good works in our lives. And a lot of those good works have to do with how we speak. 
The way that we speak will be changed. And the reality is, man, when we want to change the way that we speak, often we only go to the fruit. We go to the externals. We think all we might need is a few good communication tips. So we try the self-help. We try the books. We try the podcast. And sure, we can learn some helpful tips there. But listen, trying to change the way that we speak, trying to clean up our mouth without Christ in your heart, it's like trying to duct tape a piece of good fruit to a dead tree. It's not gonna work for long. The only way to make the fruit good is to make the tree good. And only Jesus can do that. Only the gospel can do that. The only way to have long lasting change in the way that you speak is Christ. Because listen, church, we're not saved by controlling our tongues. We're saved so that we can begin to control our tongues. James says, we all stumble in many ways. None of us can tame our tongue. And listen, maybe even as you're hearing this message this morning, the Holy Spirit is convicting your heart of times when you have failed to control your tongue. Maybe just in the last week, you feel regret over a way that you failed to say something that you should have or a time that you said something that was hurtful and harsh. Maybe you can resonate with the sin of the prophet Isaiah. When Isaiah came into the presence of God and he sees the holiness of God and he is humbled because of his sin, what sin immediately comes to mind? Isaiah 6, 5. Woe is me, I am lost. Why? For I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. Is that you this morning? I know it's me. Church, our hope is in the gospel. The gospel is that there is a holy and a righteous God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit who has created us in his image for the purpose of reflecting his glory yet we have all sinned against God. A big part of that is the way that we speak to other people. I mean, what was one of the first consequences of sin? After they sinned, what was the first words out of Adam and Eve's mouths afterwards? They blamed God and they blamed each other. Sin immediately changed the way that we speak. For that, we deserve God's judgment. We deserve God's wrath in a place called hell. But God loves us so much that he sent Jesus Christ into this world. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man in one person. And you know, James says here that there is no human being who can tame the tongue. But Jesus is the God man. And Jesus is the only one who ever perfectly tamed the tongue. When Jesus faced the greatest trial in his life, how did he speak? When he was on trial unjustly, Isaiah 53, seven says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. But what did he do about it? He opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before his shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Even in this unjust trial that he was on, he opened not his mouth. And then when he is on the cross, being spit on and mocked and beaten by unjustly and unfairly, what are the words that finally come out of his mouth? Father, forgive them. Jesus is the only one who ever perfectly controlled the tongue, yet he died for people like you and me, a people of unclean lips. Jesus controlled his tongue in our place. And now when we turn from our sins and we trust in Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes to live in us by the power of Christ in us, we really can begin to control our tongues. We really can begin to put off sinful ways of speaking and we can begin to speak in a way that loves God and loves others. So let me ask this question this morning. 
What does the gospel have to do with controlling our tongues? The answer is everything. The gospel has everything to do with how we control our tongues because it is only when the heart is made clean before God that our mouth can ever become clean. And now that we've done that, I want to just very quickly sprint through Colossians chapter three with you to show you what that will look like in practice. In Colossians chapter three, Paul is painting this picture of what the Christian life looks like, largely having to do with how we speak. And he says, the Christian life is like getting up and getting changed. We take off the dirty rags that represents the lifestyle that we lived before we knew Jesus. And daily we put on the new robe of righteousness. We put off and we put on. And this is how that relates to how we speak in Colossians chapter three. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Man, we have to put off sinful ways of speaking. We put off angry, bitter speech. We put off slander. We put off obscene, filthy jokes. We put off lying and dishonesty. So we stop speaking that way, but that's only half the battle. We also have to start speaking another way. There are things that we must put on as followers of Jesus. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. He says, we put off the angry, the selfish, the bitter, the lustful, the dishonest ways of speaking that once characterized us. And instead, we put on humble, patient, compassionate ways of speaking. When we're wronged, like Jesus, we are quick to express forgiveness. We are quick to show love to other people, even when they're not showing love to us. We're quick to show gratitude, gratitude to God and gratitude to other people. We're overflowing with scripture in our mouths. As he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We are teaching one another the word. As he says, teaching and instructing one another. We're singing. Christians have always been and will always be into eternity, a singing people. And our mouths are what, that once sang the songs of the world are now singing music that glorifies and honors God. We're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is just a small sample of what begins to come out of a mouth of a heart that has been changed by Christ. And I'll close with this thought. As we follow the example of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in community with the body of Christ, we can do this. Guys, we can do this. We really can begin to tame the tongue in our lives. 
We really can put off those sinful, hurtful ways of speaking that once characterized us. And we really can begin to put on words that love and serve other people. And it's my hope and prayer this morning that Coastal Gloucester would be a congregation that is known for our loving, gracious, truthful ways that we speak. So church, we're gonna close a little bit differently this morning. Uh, We're gonna close by partaking of communion together as a church family. So with that, I'd like to ask the ushers to go ahead and grab the communion elements and begin to distribute those. As we are taking communion together, let me give a little bit of instructions on how this is going to go. So first of all, while you do not need to be a member of Coastal to take communion, we do ask that everyone that partakes of communion is a follower of Jesus Christ. We believe that the Bible very clearly teaches that communion is something that is for Christians. So maybe you're here this morning and you're visiting with us, you came for a friend or you're just checking us out. Listen, we're delighted that you're here. We really are. And we would love to talk to you more about the gospel. But during this time, I would ask that you would just let the plate pass by. No one's looking at you. Nobody's judging you. Uh, But we do believe that this is a meal for Christians. As we partake of communion together, there are three things that we always, let me grab one of those. Thank you, brother. There are three, I took two. Well, that's double. Um, There are three things that we encourage our church family to do while we partake of communion. The first is to look backwards. We look backwards at what Jesus Christ has done for us 2,000 years ago on the cross. I mean, you guys remember that wonderful song in Christ alone that we just sang, right? Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. That's what happened on the cross. Jesus Christ bore the penalty for sins that you and I deserved so that we could have eternal life with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We look backward and remember how Jesus Christ was sacrificed for us so that we might have eternal life. So we look backwards. Next, we look inwards. We look at our own lives and we examine our hearts. Communion is a great opportunity for us to look and see, Lord, is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Is there anything in my life that I'm not dealing with before you? Maybe there's a brother or sister in Christ that I'm not speaking to and there's something in my heart against them and I need to go and be reconciled to them. Look into your heart, examine yourself before you take communion. And then finally, we look forward. Church, we look forward to the day that we will be able to see Jesus face to face. You know, in the communion meal, Jesus says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until I drink it with you again in the kingdom of my Father. In this meal, it is an opportunity for us to look forward to the day that our faith will become sight, when our prayer will be turned to praise, when we will see Jesus forever and ever and we will worship him together for eternity. So here's what's gonna happen. Uh, As the elements are still being passed, I wanna give us a few moments for us to be able to pray and to be able to reflect on what Jesus has done for us to be able to reflect on our lives. We're gonna pray silently and then I'll get back up. We will partake of communion together, close in prayer and be dismissed. So take a couple of minutes while the music softly plays and have a time in prayer, do some business with God. And in a moment, we'll partake together.